This is Eric McKinney joined by Daryl Rideau and, and welcoming you into a, a special Tuesday edition of the Monday morning cornerback. The game being pushed back to Sunday pushes this back. And, and so we, we've got Daryl in to talk USC's uh, ultimately big win against Washington State, 38-13. Uh, and, and I want to start right off the bat by something that struck, I'm sure both of us right off the bat. USC comes out defensively and you're counting safeties out there. There's five safeties out there. There's seven defensive backs with, with Talanoa Hufunga kind of pulled up playing linebacker. And I, I want you to be able to jump in right away. Your thoughts on how this defensive game plan uh, came together, what it looked like, how, how it worked, and, and just kind of that look from USC against Washington State. For, for me, Eric, watching it, I couldn't have been more excited about what I saw because it showed some creativity. It showed game planning. USC knew it was going up against its own variation of an air raid attack. Uh, you know, an offense, a spread wide out offense that runs in primarily features four wide receivers. You knew that, that in order for USC to have success defensively, that they were going to have to show a wrinkle, a wrinkle that hadn't been shown up until now in coming into this season. We didn't know much about Todd Orlando outside of the Big 12. And, and for, for me, watching how the team resonated, it just seemed that they were uh, energized by putting more talent on the football field. And let's face it, USC is as deep as they come in the secondary. So being able to move Hufanga into the box. At first, I thought that, man, are they going an under front? Are they just moving the safety into the box? And then, like, as you alluded to, you start counting all the bodies, and you're like, wait a minute. Look at all these athletes on the field. You know, I saw Greg Johnson. I saw Max Williams out there at, at times. Um, but the most important thing that you saw was because it gave them a lot more athleticism on the football field, they were winning. The defense was able to line up, match up, and win those one-on-one -on -one battles. But up front, it allowed for the defensive line to run games. I saw tackle in exchanges. We call it the text. Um, you know, I, I saw, I, I saw really uh, Nick Figueroa continue to progress in his evolution as as a, a starter on the defensive line, uh, beat his one on one battles, collapse the pocket, and, and really cause problems for Washington State offensively to identify and find themselves in a rhythm. And just the athleticism alone created smaller windows and pockets, which led to more turnovers. So overall, the, if USC is going to continue on this trend upwards, we saw them play with a lot of confidence, uh, a lot of aggression. And, and that aggression resonated in the way that they swarmed to the football, the way that they pursued, and just the way that they were able to get off the field on third downs. So... Uh, Todd Orlando, kudos to you. For that first half of football, you couldn't have put the finer opportunity to showcase and display a nice wrinkle like that. And the players really understood what they were, what was asked of them from an accountability standpoint, and it showed. Let's get into that that sort of the, the fire, the swagger, the confidence, whatever you want to call it. But it, it really does feel like every time this defense takes the field now, there's more of that. There, there's more confidence that, that they're playing with. Uh, I, I'd like maybe if, if you could go back, uh, again, this is a, a new defensive coordinator coming in and really not just the defensive coordinator. This, this is a, a new defensive coordinator and new position coaches up and down uh, that, that defensive roster, defensive line coach, 
Vic Soto and, and quarterback coach Dante Williams, safety coach Craig Nivar. Th- these are a lot of new faces, new voices, and we heard a lot all offseason about them bringing sort of a new culture. You've got some experience with, with a, a defensive mind coming in. Are, are there similarities that, that you've seen of teams past? And, and I guess what do you see from this team this year that maybe maybe looks familiar to you? So, so for those of us uh, USC fans who, who listen in on a weekly basis, who are unaware, I, I you know, I'm Daryl Rideau. And again, I played at USC from 1999 to 2002. And I started my career off under Paul Hackett, under uh, these, you know, uh, Dennis Thurman as my, uh, my defensive back coach. And Dennis Thurman had his own style about how he and what he wanted from his, uh, his defensive backs. Uh, but from there, it went to Dwayne Walker, who turned out to be a phenomenal defensive coordinator in a, a matchup that we may be talking about a little bit later in this podcast uh, between USC and UCLA over the years when he was a defense coordinator at um, UCLA. But Dwayne Walker was my position coach. And then I, I finished up with Greg Burns. So in a matter of four years, I had three secondary coaches. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a team, a secondary that has a tremendous amount of experience, although they're young on the field experience, the the games continue to pile up. But for the first time, I'm seeing guys play with a lot of confidence, a clear understanding of what's expected of them. There's no flipping of the field. There's clearly defined roles of boundary side, wide side. When you're a defensive back, you like the fact that you know exactly what you're being asked of, what's being asked of you. So then you can start focusing on your opponent, how to measure them up. And what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a team that's swarming, a secondary that's playing with tremendous amount of confidence and athleticism and, and playmakers. That's what it boils down to. The results from the preparation are now transitioning onto the field. And when you line up a game plan and you execute that blunt game plan, your confidence grows. When you simplify things and you allow me to play with athleticism instead of having to play within my head, in between my ears, in my brain, where no corner, no, no linebacker, and, and no safety wants to be. Guessing and hesitant coming out of the chute. So because of that, I think it's this, this game plan that uh, Todd Orlando and the, the concepts, simplifying things allowing them to have a clear visual understanding of how they're going to attack teams and where the threats are. What you're seeing is you're seeing a team that is coming in fundamentally prepared and engaged. And as a result of that, as they start to reap the benefits of getting interceptions, we saw Hufanga make an athletic play to create an interception. And uh, Elijah Griffin, same thing. He jumped the slant. And he jumped the slant not from undercutting it from the lower half, but he came from the upfield shoulder, which meant that fundamentally from his alignment to assignment, he was in a position with a better angle than the wide receiver was to take the ball away from him. So for, for, for me, as I look at this, it reminds me of the time that I spent under Dwayne Walker and Greg Burns. And I have to focus on them because they coached under Pete Carroll. And what Pete did so phenomenal was he simplified the game plan and allowed for his athletes to play and flourish and thrive. Hufanga was always equipped to be in the box and cause havoc, coming off the edge, hovering around, being a, being a threat, and always having to be held accountable. Now, you put him in that box in a dime situation where you uh, six backs, you're 
result or because white people in those positions to be successful. So what I'm saying to you is if we see more of this sample size, what we saw in the first half of the game against Washington State, this is going to be, there's going to be a hard out for any team trying to contend against USC. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit more about Talanoa Hufanga? I mean, he, you, you look at his stats in that game, nine tackles, uh, led the team there. Uh, he had that interception with that return that, that was incredible. Uh, he has the, the gets credit for the one sack, and really Nick Figueroa ended up with three. Two of them were a, a direct result of plays by Talanoa Hafanga to throw the quarterback off and, and make him hold the ball or, or stumble around a little bit enough for Figueroa to knock him down. That, that to me, especially, like you said, playing a position – that we hadn't really seen him play before. I, I mean, that to me was one of the defensive performances from any USC player. Well, I, I mean, you talk about that, that three interception game from Cameron Smith uh, against Utah, you know, th there's, there's games like that that stand out. This seemed like a game from Hafanga that when, when it is his time to, to go to the NFL and, and leave USC, this is going to be maybe uh, example one of what he did at USC. Uh, you know, I, I think about UCLA and as they prepare for USC and when they turn on, when they turn on the film and they have to pay attention to where 15 is and they have to really think about, oh man, you have to account for him because he, there's some players that just have a knack for making plays and it's not something, you know, many people want to attribute that to be instinctual, but for me, it's his football IQ. The way that he sees the field, the way that he's able to process information from a spacing standpoint, the, the angles that he, posi he positions himself in so that he's always running downhill. Rarely do you ever see him have to retreat and, and tread backwards. It always feels like he's the aggressor coming downhill to make the play. And it, it's, it's things, little things like that his football IQ, his understanding of what's being, uh, again, uh, what's, what's expected of him as a safety, coming into the box, where he fits, where he aligns, and then being able to anticipate from his film study. He's a complete player. And as a safety, uh, it's, it's, it's special watching him prepare and, and watching him play and the energy that he brings and how it resonates with his teammates. Uh, I believe last year he was a leading tackler, even with, you know, um, ha having not completed a full season, uh, you know, being out um, hobbled by some, some injuries. The, the mere fact that his presence on the football field, if I'm a quarterback and I'm lining up, you have to account for where he is on the field because he, he causes so much havoc and chaos that you almost want to throw away from him. He has, for me, he has the, um, he has the Deion Sanders effect. I know he's not a corner, but when you talk about a playmaker like him on the field and where he's at, uh, it, Troy Palomalo comes to mind uh, because teams always had to account for where he was on the football field. And whenever he was hovering around the, um, the line of scrimmage, you, you had to account for him in the box. And oftentimes you didn't have enough to block him. So uh, he, he's very, very special. I'm enjoying watching him play. And it's, it's, I'm saddened by the fact that this is a shortened season because you can tell with every game this season, his, his game elevates and, and, and his play resonates with his teammates. And uh, it's been a joy watching that particular game uh, against Washington State because you're able to see just how versatile he can be when you give him an opportunity to make those kind of plays. 
another guy specifically that, that I'd like you to get into a little bit is, is Max Williams. And with the news coming out of Washington State uh, that Greg Johnson is, is injured, had a knee injury, will miss the rest of the season uh, due to surgery. The idea is now Max Williams steps up into that starting spot, that, that third safety alongside Hafanga and, and Isaiah Polamau. And we're going to see a lot more of Max Williams. He, he played, again, in that dime defense a, a ton against Washington State. He finished second on the team, seven total tackles. Uh, he actually led the team with, with six solo tackles, uh, had a tackle for loss. He's a guy that, that I know we both have always felt it, it's, it's coming. It, it's right around yeah. the corner. And, and he's a guy I know, you know, he hasn't been at USC for long at all. But there's a lot of belief in his ability. What, what have you seen? from him so far this year and what can maybe USC fans expect? Again, like you said, a shortened season. It's not like he has to fill out six games, you know, to, to, end, the, to end the year, but a, a couple of potentially really important games coming up. Well, well, first of all, um, just, it, it, you know, congratulations to Greg Johnson, a, a player who revitalized his career, really kind of found his niche of playing in that slot and has really kind of thrived as one of the unsung heroes uh, on, on this team as a as a, a non-captain's captain, so to speak, you know, a leader within within the, uh, the clubhouse. And for, for him to go down when he was just playing his best football, you're saddened by that, but you're also happy that he's ending at least this this part of the season, feeling good about how his game was progressing. Uh, but now that opens up this door for Max Williams. And uh, coming out of Sarah, this is a kid that I've always been excited about because every opportunity that he's had uh, going back to last year, while it may not always show up on the stat chart, he is another impact player plays well in space. So you're not going to lose much in terms of a cut from a coverage standpoint. He does a really good job of positioning himself. He's another, uh, another player that understands angles, understands cutoffs, how to reroute receivers with his feet, not necessarily with his body. Okay. But also I learned a lot about him as a freshman when he came into games in that nickel position, a position that I've come to learn and respect in a lot in my, at the end of my career at USC, having played in the nickel. And what's being asked of you when you're replacing a, a linebacker, you're responsible for fitting in the run fits. And when you watch Max Williams, he's not afraid to put his helmet, put, you know, to, to put his helmet in the mix and, and really turn the play back inside. And coming off the edge, he's always a threat too from what we call um, a smash, uh, which is uh, the, the strong side or nickel um, backer coming off the edge on a zone dog blitz. You have to account for him as well. So I don't know if you're going to lose a lot with the, aside from, you know, size, but Max Williams brings a lot to the table. And I think what, what you will see is a lot more athleticism, versatility, and this may be a spot that he, he fails to relinquish because he was proven, uh, he's proven to me at least, that, that he, uh, the lights are never too bright for him playing at this level. And I would not be surprised if, if he is one of the impact players coming out of this game against UCLA um, uh, next week. Yeah, it should be fun to, to kind of see how that works. And again, like we both mentioned, the energy that USC brings into that game. And we'll talk USC uh, defense a, a little bit against UCLA, UCLA offense. But before that, I, I want to flip to the other side a little bit and, and 
I, you know, it's, it's unfair to the USC offense, but we're going to skip past the first quarter. I mean, when you, you put up 28 points, we kind of saw what happened. It's, it's Washington state. I don't know, for some reason comes out in, in man coverage and just gets blitz, get, gets blown apart by USC's passing attack. When it comes time for USC to, to really have to run the ball, I'm curious kind of what, what you're seeing. And I think we, we both have an understanding of what USC was up against coming into this game in terms of the offensive line. That They wind up starting a true freshman in Cortland, Florida at left guard, and they didn't have any of their starters to play together for two weeks leading up to the game. Uh, the, their starters come out of quarantine on Saturday. And, and as Graham Merrill said, they came out of the hotel and basically just got ready for the game. Uh, that That's a steep hill to climb. I, I'm curious yes. how you weigh those two things and ultimately your takeaway from USC's, just specifically the, the rushing attack in that game, accounting for five yards on 20 attempts. Look, um... Okay, there are excuses, and then there are true impactful reasons as to why one would um, look at the, the, the lack of practice, the lack of continuity between on the offensive line as to a reason for why USC only rushed for five yards, okay? Um, and really, the, the four positive yards came late, late, late in the game. Because for three quarters, I think they were at, you know, plus one. You had, um, yeah, you had 11, 11 rushing yes. yards basically running yes. out the clock at the end right, of the half right. and at the end of the right. game. Right. And, and so for me, when I think about it, it comes back down to patience. It's running the ball is a want to. It's a commitment. It is a grind. Okay. It's not as sexy and it's not as glamorous as throwing the ball over the heads of defenders. Okay. Yes. The defense lined up in, in Washington State lined up in man coverage and you exploited it. Okay. But there was a time in the game when USC needed to prepare for the games to come. And what we saw was we saw a lapse in judgment. We saw an opportunity for them to demonstrate that they can run the ball. When you are playing with um, virtual, uh, a motley crew of offensive linemen, a mixed match, that is the very time when you need to stop dropping back to run the, I mean, and, and, and commit to running the ball because it is more pressure on your offensive line to drop back and have to account for um, stunts and blitzes. You know, that takes more communication than it does for you to line up mano a mano, man on man, and block the guy in front of you and try to establish a new line of scrimmage. But because USC has so much success in the air and this air raid attack really doesn't demonstrate or exemplify that it has the patience, the fortitude to establish the running game, that's going to be a problem. Because when you talk about how explosive they were in the first half, absence of the running game. And why is the running game so significant? Because Eric, the further you get down into the season, okay, and you give teams 100% um, time to focus and concentrate on just one opponent, okay? So take the cliche out, you know, it's a one-week game. Most of the time it's a one-week game as you prepare for many games beyond that. So there are certain things that you may not do uh, or take the liberty of doing that you would do if you were just preparing for one opponent and you didn't have to really focus on the opponent thereafter. With that being said, when teams start to go back to drop an eight in coverage and they take away those windows, 
have you taken the time to put on film the ability to run the ball in the trenches when you need it most to extend drives? Okay. Have you figured out, do you want to go back into a pistol with the line, uh, with the running back dotted right behind the quarterback at seven yards as the quarterback is at five, instead of having him at five and a half, six yards right next to him, throwing off the spacing. So running, the running game is rhythm, timing, and we're not seeing that patience. Instead, it's easy for this offense to defer to the passing game because it's sexy. It's easy for them because they're having success doing it. But the, the part of this offense that has not developed the way that it should is, is developing their timing, giving that offensive line callous. And what I mean by callous is getting them in the trenches, allowing them to drive off the ball instead of retreating into a passing position. And that's the part of this offense that needs to continue to develop if it wants to extend its season beyond UCLA. Is it just a matter of run more? Or do you see reasons why the, the run is not working? Is it something where running more would just result in more negative yardage plays and there is sort of a fundamental issue with the running attack? Well, when you're up 32 to 6, 32 to 13, I mean 38 to 13 rather, okay, um, which is where the game ended, uh, when you're up by four, four touchdowns um, at any given point of the game, you have margin for error you have an opportunity to commit to developing chemistry and rhythm, working out those kinks. Well, and I talked about it a little earlier. The, the biggest issue that I see with the running game as it stands now is the angles that the, that the, uh, the running backs are taking, the timing, okay? When the running back is literally right next to the quarterback and the quarterback, or, um, Keaton Slovis, receives the handoff and is just virtually receiving and then shoving it into the, uh, into the stomach of the, of the running back, the running back doesn't give his offensive line time to set up. Um, uh, there were several coaches that used to use this, this term, slow to, fast through. Slow to the line of scrimmage to give your offensive line a chance to set its blocks. What the running backs do in the backfield slows down the linebackers, okay? So if he takes a pivot step to the left and then counters back to the right, that one pivot step to the left shifts the offense, uh, shifts the, the linebackers over. And it may give the offensive line a chance to set up their angles to come downhill on the block. But when the ball, but when, when, when the spacing is off between the quarterback and your running back, it leads to uh, just really dysfunction in the backfield. And that's what we're seeing. So how do you combat that? sample size you need more volume you need more reps you need more commitment don't worry about the outcome of it worry about the volume if you get to that point in stasis you you your, your running backs are too talented okay and in the three or five plays play is not active is throwing the ball down the field uh to wide open wide receivers it's just not going to happen but it does help because what the running game does is it demoralizes and it breaks down a defense, but it also gives your, your, your defense a chance to recover. And um, philosophically, it wears down your opponent because when they know you, you're running the ball and they line up and they still can't stop that run, it wears them out. And they eventually will concede to the fact that uh, I'm just up against a better team. 
But when you play finesse and you're always on your heels, you become susceptible to one mistake. Maybe it's a mistake because somebody doesn't get out of their, um, out of their stance fast enough, okay? Or maybe it's a communication breakdown. And those lead to sacked her, uh, cause fumbles, interceptions, or injuries um, and, and at the wrong time. So running the ball, I've rarely ever seen a lineman pull his hamstring from running the ball. I rarely ever seen a, a, a lineman complain that we don't run the, I mean, you know, that we're running the ball too much. Usually they want to beat up on the person that, um, that they're having to defend against half the game. Yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the, the consensus at this point is that the idea that all of a sudden you want to, you know, you want to flip it on uh, in the fourth yeah. quarter and, and, you know, let's go on a, a 15 play March and, and do it all with the run. You haven't prepped for that, that you, you haven't, haven't sort of laid any groundwork uh, to be able to do that. And it'll be interesting to see uh, against a UCLA team and, and we'll flip it forward. Look, look ahead a little bit. Uh, this is, I, I don't think this is the UCLA team that many people expected coming into the season. You know, they, they start off the season with a loss, but they claw their way back in uh, with a backup quarterback that they're close against Oregon. And then they, they've put together some wins here now. And, and I think that this is a team that's probably playing with a lot of confidence. What, what is your thought on uh, what you, what you've seen kind of for UCLA, maybe what you expect uh, this week. And then specifically for you, I, I'm just curious, kind of your, first thoughts about about the USC UCLA game when that comes up on the schedule this week is is crucial for for USC from a preparation standpoint because um I I don't have the privilege of being able to go to practice many of us do not you know practices are virtually closed so we, we don't really see what tempo they're practicing at but I'll tell you this when you go up against a Chip Kelly coached UCLA team what you can expect to see is a lot of window dressing and what I mean by that, Eric, is a lot of different fronts. Chip Kelly is going to determine how smart are you and how fast can you read and react. Goes back down to fundamental football. Are you in the position where you're supposed to be at, where your alignment and assignment is sound? You know, USC this past week, we talked about it. They fe featured six defensive, line, uh, um, defensive, defensive backs um, in a dime package. And, 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 and bringing those safeties into the box hovered over um, with, uh, with, um, with Hufanga kind of leading that charge and then Williams being on the other side. He, here's what you know. If you're not sound in your run fits, it could be a disaster. UCLA will do a great job of testing how smart is USC for making corrections from their past weeks. So expect to see a lot of this from UCLA offensively. A lot of motion fly series where the running back comes across the field because USC likes to feature a lot of man coverage, okay? But also expect to see bunch formations, cluttered situations where the, the secondary now has to be held accountable in the run fits, end over slots where they're unbalanced line sets. Again, testing the fortitude of, those, of, 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 of the corners in the secondary from Elijah Griffin to Chris Steele. Are you confident in your ability to react and come off the edge and fill and replace those gaps uh, when, um, when, the, when the safety or when the receivers crack down on the defensive ends? Can you fill coming off of that back of the wide receiver and plug that hole? That's what USC is going to be tested with. Defensively, expect to see multiple formations, maybe disguises, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
three down linemen situations, a lot of nickel and dime situations to combat against, man under too deep, you know, two safeties high to force Keaton Slovis to have to pat the ball. But, um, but, but really dropping eight in the coverage and determining how patient can USC be with establishing the running game. Everything we just talked about, this is where you take your midterm. This is where you take that final exam. You know, in a condensed season, it comes down to now heart. It comes down to the emotions of a game that takes on an element of its own. I remember going back to 1999, and this has been rehearsed and said many a times, but I look at it from this perspective. As a, as a true freshman playing at US, UC, USC, where UCLA had an eight-game winning streak, and how demoralizing it was that week in practice to hear the seniors who had never defeated UCLA up until that point going into that 1999 campaign. Just, just, the, just the, the despair that you heard in their voice. You would think that... Um, someone, you know, um, someone just broke up with their girlfriend or something because it was very, very heartbreak. Uh, it was a heartbreak, um, a heartbreak waiting to happen. For, for me, because I was so young, I didn't know any better. All I knew what to do was compete. And I knew that when you go to USC, you just don't like UCLA. But I didn't understand why I didn't like UCLA until I ran the ball the first time. On that first kickoff, when I got hit, Around the 20, 22-yard line, I was on the ground, Eric, and um, one of the linebackers stepped on my calf muscle to walk over me, and that was my introduction into the game, okay? <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Of course, I used some, um, uh, you know, more inflammatory words than that. And then later in the game, okay, I, I, I'm in on a situation where I'm covering uh, the mouth of the South, Freddie Mitchell. And he turned me around. He spun me around like a rag doll. And every play, he talked to me. He said, you're you going you to earn that scholarship today or I'm going to take it away from you. <laughs> you know, and he was treating me like a little kid. And I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there talking to the referee. Like, you just going to let him keep talking to me like that? <laughs> and the referee said, do something about it. You know, and, um, and it was just little things like that where if you let your opponent, your rival, get in your head, they never let it down. You know, the cliche is chances are you work with somebody or you know somebody who is on one side of that spectrum. The schools are separated by 11 miles. So, of course, you're going to uh, run into somebody that you know, somebody that's, uh, you know, kind of impacted by on one side or the other. So, for USC, this is their midterm. Can you channel your emotions? Can you continue to pick up on what we saw against Utah and now against Washington State? Can you continue to kind of build off of this momentum and now put a complete game together the same way that you did a first half that was remarkable offensively and defensively? Defensively, they played with so much tenacity. Offensively, they, they exploded, you know, and, and, and they showed you what they're capable of doing. But now the test is, can you take all of, all of what you learned in the first half, learn from your mistakes of the second, and put your most complete game together because that's what it's going to take in a game like this, Eric. But what about you? What, what comes to mind when you think about UCLA? Uh, you know, I obviously I don't have the same uh, experience. You did. So, someone may have stepped on my cafe in the stands at, at some point, and that that would have uh, that would have angered me too. But it's it's really, you know, not going not going back decades and decades. It, it's the run that USC had over UCLA and obviously the height of that combined with 
the feeling in that 2006 game where after that 2005 game, you're starting to think like, could they never lose to UCLA again? The, the way those two programs were going, the way the, the right. 2005 game sort of played out uh, and, and kind of what you expected during that, that 2006 season, like you said, the high, the high, the low, the low is never as low as losing to UCLA. There, there's no kind of lower feeling that. And I'm interested this year in these rivalry games. I, I know the North uh, has, has had theirs, but with no fans at the Rose Bowl, I am kind of curious how that plays out. I'm sure a lot of the, not all of the emotion, but mm-hmm. the fans in the stands and, and going back between the Coliseum and, and the Rose Bowl, that that plays a lot, I think, into the rivalry. Yeah. Uh, you, I, I'm sure players love going to that other stadium and shutting those fans up and, and kind of egging them on and, right. and that whole thing. So, so I'm curious about, uh, that and that's something that USC has talked about this year, bringing that, bringing that emotion and keeping themselves up. And boy, did that feel flat the second half of, of the Washington State game offensively. But, but and, l- 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 Eric, let me go to one play, okay? Yeah. Um, that to me epitomized when your team is dialed in and everybody is in sync. I think it was uh, Alan Britton, I believe that's his name, number twenty-five. Britton uh, Britt Allen. Britton Allen. I'm sorry, Britton Allen. Sure. It was either a punt play or a kickoff return. He came down as a gunner, a bullet up the sideline. And when the uh, Washington State um, um, returner caught the ball, and immediately, boom, he smacked him. You know, just watching the sideline and the players erupt with emotion. Let me know that there comes a time at the beginning of the game where things will feel flat. But once you get into the competition of it, players don't think about that. Because if you're truly dialed in, you know, you're locked into that. The only time that the, that the, uh, that the, the game dictates that it really needs the fans involved are in those critical moments where the fans can actually turn a game third and short when you need to really amp up the, 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 uh, um, the, the audio. Um, and that comes from the fans being tuned in. Okay, and the way that when momentum starts to shift, the reason why we feel it so much is because you feel it in the stands. You know, when, when your team is turning the corner, you, you feel all of a sudden that, that energy erupting amongst the fans for, for the, the favorite team. And then the other team, you can see the fans start to cringe. That's where that momentum starts to shift. And you lose that without fans in the stands. Make no doubt about it. I'd love to be there too. And, and uh, again, with my brothers, but on the football field, I'll never forget what it felt like when I went up against my former teammates, guys that I played with um, in the Moore League because I went to Long Beach Poly or guys that I used to line up with in high school, now on the opposite side. Um, and just really wanting to just take it to them because I needed those bragging rights. I needed to know when I went back to my hood, that I was going to have the last word. I didn't want to be that one that let my team down that, you know, and, and I'm on ESPN highlights or, or, or Fox sports highlights week in and week out being shown that I'm, I'm getting taken to the house. So a game like this, I kept the playbook open a little bit longer. I got a little bit extra rest, you know, um, and I did all the little things that perhaps I took for granted the weeks before. 
Yeah, you mentioned Britton Allen. That that on a kickoff, and Micah Kroom had a had a really nice coverage on a kickoff too. The special teams for USC, uh, not perfect this year, but but certainly uh, done enough to to be really pleased with them. I, I'm curious for you, and and we'll kind of uh, start to wrap up on this. But your biggest concern for USC going into this game, and then also kind of the the area where you are most confident, most comfortable with with what you've seen so far in, in either the, the buildup that USC has shown or what UCLA could potentially uh, bring to the game. I, I know you've touched on a, a little bit of it, but, but I'm curious if, if there are, you know, maybe there's one thing in, in each of those categories that really does stand out to you. I, 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 the biggest concern that I have is it's obvious, okay? It's the fool's gold, okay? Relying so heavily upon your passing game where you think that it's just going to come natural this week. Every game presents its own challenges because the personnel changes, okay? And so um, where USC had an opportunity in the second half to really assert itself and establish a true running game and take advantage of, of, of just the, the, the staple of running backs that it has in its backfield, you, you blew an opportunity there. And that can come back to bite you in a game that may be closer than, than one gives credit for, okay? The other thing is this. How will USC deal with adversity on the road. Yeah, you're still in California. You haven't left LA County, but you're at, but you're in the Rose Bowl. And the Rose Bowl has a lot of nostalgia to it. You know, how will, how will this team respond after that first turnover? If there is a first turnover, you know, and things seem to not go their way, what are they gonna do to flip that switch? Who will it be? Will they press? Or will they stay within themselves and just kind of summon those, um, those earlier plays from earlier in the season that gave them confidence to know that they're always going to be in the game? Flip to the other side, okay? Uh, players defensively are creatures of habit. You lose a Greg Johnson. What will that mean? You bring in a Max Williams. While I, I called him a spark plug, spark plugs can also be dangerous, okay? Because they can be unpredictable. Will he play within himself? within the confines or will he make young mistakes that could be that could be proved costly by taking shots i'd like to think that um that that he's a smarter player than that but you just never know because this will be his first opportunity okay can do inside of against a team like ucla there's still a lot of variables a lot of unknowns uh, about how usc is going to respond uh, i'd like to think that they're just trending upwards eric but there's still so many uncertainties that, that tell me that I hope that this team is, are not front runners. I hope that if they do face adversity and find themselves playing from behind, can they commit and stay disciplined to their game plan and crawl themselves out of a battle? That's what I'd like to see. Now, th this being the final regular season game, that there's obviously a lot of discussion. You know, Colorado uh, is still undefeated and, and they have a game against – uh, Utah, USC, Colorado didn't play, so they could both finish undefeated. But this is something where USC can put any kind of discussion to bed. If they beat UCLA, they are the South representative in that Pac-12 championship game. Uh, and, and we'll end it with this. It, do, does that happen? Do, does USC come up with a win, and, and do they go? And at, at that point, they would host the Pac-12 championship game. Just, just based on everything that we learned about this team and the character that this team plays with, I know it's going to sound contradictory, okay, but I'm not trying to be. I think that this team is poised 
for their best football to be played this late in December and, you know, in, in, in weeks thereafter. So I do think that they take care of business because they recognize what's at, the t what's at stake. Um, if you were going to beat USC, those chances have passed because I think that they are hitting their groove and they're playing with so much swagger and so much confidence that I think that that continues on this week. I just think that there's a tsunami coming for UCLA. And if USC remains poised within their preparation, I, I do think that if they can put together two complete halves the way that they did that first half against Washington State, they're just a tough out. They are by far the most complete team outside of uh, Oregon, and Oregon found its, you know, its stumbling blocks. So USC recognizes, the Trojans recognize what's at stake here, and I just don't see them allowing that sand to slip through their hands. I think that they clinch hard, and, 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 and they bring the fight to UCLA to leave no doubt. All right, so it'll be a fun one on Saturday then, according to Daryl Rideau. Uh, that's a, a Saturday kickoff, 4.30, uh, afternoon into the evening game. USC-UCLA, the, the crosstown rivalry, to put a, a bow on, boy, what has been a crazy regular season with, with everything going, uh, going into it. So, again, USC with a chance to play itself into the Pac-12 championship game, which certainly – uh, was the goal at the beginning of the season. So for our look back at that Washington State win, a, a little bit of a, a glimpse ahead at the UCLA game, uh, this has been Eric McKinney, joined by Daryl Rideau. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday, Monday morning cornerback.